Are you ready? When things go wrong, when things go right, when goals are hard, you need some light. We carry the burden. We share the night. Come one, come all, come now, the fight. We're playing to win. We are Game Changers. Good morning, church. Welcome to our series on Game Changers, and you picked a great day to be here, although it was really cold out there today. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Katrina, and I'm the children's pastor here at All Nations Church. So in our series on Game Changers, I'm going to put this into a little bit of a sports metaphor for you. Um, We had Amanda. She was our starter. And she started off the series talking about those big rock, big stone moments in your life, the ones that really stand out in your life. And she talked about what it's like to be in the middle and that she encouraged us to have hope when we're in the middle. And she was then followed up by the setup man, John, who came and told the story of his son um, and his amazing journey and how through prayer um, John was encouraged and he remained faithful to God and was able to trust him in that difficult time. So I get to be the closer. So when I think of um, those times in my life um, that were game-changing moments, I think of um, good times and those not-so-good times. You know, it kind of takes a mix of both sometimes to make us the people that really God wants us to be. But I'm going to tell you, um, so you might not know this about me, but sports really is not my thing, (laughs) okay? So I grew up in a really small town um, near Red Lake, Ontario, which is north, and I can tell you it's colder there today than it is here. Um, I checked. So um, I grew up in a small town, and when you grow up in a small town and you're putting together a baseball team, you need a lot of girls. And everybody in town knew that I was not a baseball girl. They knew I was not a sports girl, but they were desperate. So they would have taken anybody to be on their sports team. So they found me probably sitting at the piano playing. Um, Would you come be on my team? And peer pressure, I said yes. And I went out to the first practice, and they they realized I had no skill at all, like absolutely no skill. Um, And they could tell this because every time they threw the ball at me, I'd close my eyes. And then every time I went up to bat, I would close my eyes. So they thought, we'll just put her in the field, and hopefully somebody can run and help her out, right? And I remember standing in, those, in that field, and I was doing one thing, one thing, praying that the ball would not come my way, because if it did, we would be in trouble. I, I, know, I remember that time really thinking, well, at the time, I will tell you, I really thought of that time as the most horrifying time. I was a teenager. I was like with my friends and they could see that this was not my thing. And I was so embarrassed. Every time I went up to to bat, my eyes were closed and people would be cheering. Like eventually they'd just start saying, open your eyes. (laughs) It was, it was one of those moments at the time as a teenage girl, I was horrified, right? So growing up in a small town um, in Red Lake, uh, we would pile in the van as a kid. I have an older sister and two younger brothers and my mom and dad. We'd pile in this old van and drive to Red Lake. It was about a 20-minute drive. 
and we'd pull up to Calvary Baptist Church in Red Lake. The congregation was probably 40 people or so, and the back row was always left open for the castanages because we were always late. They knew we would come. We did, they just knew we were going to be late. So we'd slide into the pew, and we would hear these amazing messages um, from Pastor Khan, who um, became a great friend of our family. I remember those times with great fondness, you know, those moments that you would go into church and, and just sit and just enjoy hearing the message of God. But I had a secret, and the truth was, I loved hearing the stories of the Bible. I just loved hearing them. But I didn't believe that God loved me. I didn't believe it. And so I knew that God loved other people. I could see it in their lives. I knew that Jesus loved other people. I just didn't think he loved me. You know, I attended a church where I saw amazing people who were out in the community doing amazing things for God. I had witnesses in my life, like my parents, who I got to see baptized when I was a little girl, who lived their life from that moment on for Christ. And there was a change in their lives, but I just didn't believe it for me. Uh, You know, so when you don't believe something to be true, what do you do? You go out and look for proof it's not true. So I spent my life, my early life, looking for proof that God didn't love me. And the truth is, when you're looking for proof, you find it. And so in my life, I would look for anything that would would be going wrong um, was proof to me that God didn't love me. You know, I had a rough day. God didn't love me. You know, a friend doesn't want to be my friend anymore, right? God doesn't love me. There were so many things in my life. They weren't really the big things. They were just little things that kind of started adding up. And as I grew older, I attended church, and I did all of the right things. I memorized every Bible verse. I listened to every story. I went to youth group every Friday night. Um, I would pray at every, every meal with my family. I did everything you were supposed to do when you love God. But in my heart, it wasn't the truth. And as I grew older, um, you know, I started just kind of stepping away a little bit. And so I had a plan for my life. I had this fantastic plan. So how many of you, when you were teenagers, created these great plans for your life? I had this fantastic plan. See, I was going to go to teacher's college, right? Become a teacher because I knew God wanted me to work with kids. That was his plan for my life. He placed in my heart at a really young age a love for children. So every opportunity I got to work with kids, I was out working with kids. And I knew that that was his plan for my life. So my plan was go to teacher's college, come home, marry a minor, because it's Red Lake, right? (laughs) Um, Have a dozen kids, because I love kids. And that, for me, was the perfect plan. The only thing is, is that have you ever had a moment in your life that pivotal moment in your life that proves everything you believe to be true or what you think you believe to be true. And that happened to me. I had this moment, this game-changing moment. So it was probably about my first or second year of university, and I was having some health problems. And so I went to the doctor, got some tests done, and she called me into her office. And of course, they brought mom, because you always bring mom, right? Mom's going to be there for the good news, the bad news. So I brought mom and we sat down, and 
During this lengthy conversation, I only heard one thing. Now, my mom had a page of notes after the conversation, because moms do that. I heard one thing, and that one thing was this. I found out that day that I was never going to be able to have kids, that I was not going to be able to have kids. Let's just say devastating, right? Because that was my plan. And I couldn't see how that could be God's plan for my life, knowing how much I wanted kids, knowing how much I loved kids. And so for me, that was proof enough. That was the one moment that proved to me that God didn't love me. And so it was on that day that I made the decision to walk away from God. Now, to be clear, I never stopped believing there was a God. I never stopped believing in Jesus. I just stopped believing that he was the right thing for me. So I walked away. So there's a verse in the Bible that every kid memorizes, and it's John 3:16. And of course, I memorized the King James Version, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when I read that verse, this is what it said to me. For God so loved the world, but you. God doesn't love you. That's how I heard it. He couldn't love me. I'm unlovable, right? I'm a sinner. I'd never do anything, right? I can't play baseball. <laughs> I just felt like he had created me and he had made this mistake. I was a mistake, that God didn't love me. And so I decided at that point I was done. And so what I did was I began making choices in my life for me. I started doing what I wanted to do. And sometimes the things we choose to do for ourselves are not the things God would ever have chosen for our lives. So I began to live my life for me and forget anything that I knew God wanted for my life. So what happens to you when you lose your hopes and your dreams? And what happens to you when you lose your plans and your future? Well, for me, I became incredibly angry. And I believe anger is kind of a second emotion. I was hurt and I was broken, and I was really sad. And that turned into anger. But I knew to function in the world, I needed to put on a mask, and I needed, needed to pretend like everything was okay. I wanted everybody to think that I was great, life was good, world was fine, nothing was wrong. So I put on a mask, and I did like a lot of people do, and I built this wall around my heart that nobody was going to get through. It was impossible to get to me. Now, I was really good, at faking it. I'd go to university, and I made a lot of friends, but we weren't really friends, because I would never, ever let them pass the barrier that I created for myself, right? I had a relationship with my family um, who really didn't know me, because I wouldn't let them in. Nobody got in. Nobody got past that wall. I decided at that time that I was done. And so the question, really, I think, to ask myself is, I had been in church my entire life. I grew up in a family that believed in God, that followed Jesus. I grew up in a church that went out and demonstrated that to the world, and I missed it. I missed it. I missed the true message of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? You know, it brings me back to a story in the Bible about a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now, the thing about Saul is Saul was very well educated. He knew 
Um, he was a religious scholar of the time. He would have known the prophecies. He was incredibly well-educated man. He would have known the signs that the Messiah would be coming. And what he did was he hated people who followed Jesus. He hated them. And he went out in the world to persecute those people. He actually went to the synagogues to get permission to arrest them and throw them in jail. He hated them that much. So on one particular day, he gets permission to go to Damascus, and he starts traveling there with his buds. They're all like, we're gonna go get some Christians today, and then off they go to get their Christians. And all of a sudden, he has a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, right there on the road. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, first sign, a light from heaven, right? Every time there's a light from heaven or an angel, you're freaking out, right? I mean, what do we tell the kids? The angels come, do not be afraid, right? And so Saul says, who are you? Oh, sorry, Jesus says to him, um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, why are you doing this to me? When you do this to my followers, you're doing this to me. When you deny God, you deny me. When you deny Jesus, you deny me. When you deny my followers and what they believe, you deny me. Why are you doing this? And he says, who are you, Lord? Which I find a really interesting question. Who are you, Lord? He knows exactly who he's talking to. He knows exactly. I think he's hoping, like many of us do, that we can just get around it. Like, I'm gonna pretend like I don't know who you are, because. I'm persecuting people who follow you. So I'm gonna pretend like I don't know who you are. Who are you, Lord? And the answer is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now at that point, meeting the risen Jesus, I'd be freaking out, knowing that I was out there throwing people who believed in Jesus in jail. That was what I was doing. And, he, and Jesus says to him, rise and enter the city, and you're gonna be told exactly what to do. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. So they, Paul, Saul gets up from the ground, and he opens his eyes, and he can't see anything. He saw nothing. So they led him to Damascus. And there they leave him and he waits. And he's waiting because God has told him that somebody's coming who will help him. So then of course, uh, Jesus goes to Ananias. God goes to Ananias, who is a follower of Jesus and says, hey, I got a job for you. You're gonna love it. I want you to go find that guy, that guy named Saul. And Ananias is thinking, pardon me? He wants to throw me in jail. Why would I go to see him? Go and see him. And the reason I want you to go see him is how he describes it in the Bible is he is, has been chosen as an instrument of mine. He has been chosen by me to go out and spread my word into the world. Well, I'm sure that through Ananias for a loop, this guy who's been throwing Christians in jail, who's been persecuting them and ridiculing them, is gonna save us is gonna be part of our kind of crew and go out and talk to people? And it, the answer was yes. 
So Ananias did exactly what he was told. He went and found Saul, and he prayed with him. He prayed over him. And what the Bible says is that something like scales fell from his eyes, and Saul could see. For the first time, Saul could see. And he rose, and he got baptized. He went out and got baptized immediately. See, it was that personal encounter with Jesus that changed his life. He knew the prophecies. He knew what was coming. He knew the Messiah would be coming. He knew all of that. And he knew the message of Jesus. At the time, being a religious scholar, he would have known what Jesus was teaching. He would have known Jesus taught love. Jesus taught respect. And Jesus wanted them to follow him, to follow God and be part of his kingdom. He would have known all that. He just chose not to listen. Just like I knew all that, and I chose not to listen. See, the Bible's filled with stories, I believe, of people who kind of just miss it. You know, I think in the Old Testament, God goes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, go and save the people. And Moses says, I don't think I can do it. Right? He listens to God, and he does it. But there's always that question of doubt. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I can't speak well enough, I'm not enough. And the truth is, I at that time felt like I was not enough. And I think of Peter, good old Peter. Peter spent three years listening to the message of Jesus Christ. He spent three years listening to the story. He spent three years watching the man in action watching him live out, live it out every single day. And he missed it. Because when the time came for him to stand up for Jesus, what did he do? He denied him three times. Now, don't know that guy. Don't know that guy, nope. Three times. It wasn't until he had that personal encounter with Jesus. He watched him die. And he watched him rise again. That he knew It was true. He knew what Jesus had said was true. So at the time, I walked away. I decided I was done. And then about 14 years ago, my family moved to Sudbury from Red Lake. Um, My mom and dad moved here. My brother, his wife, my other brother and his wife already lived here. So of course I moved. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to be the only one up in the great white north, right? I moved to Sudbury to be with my family. And a couple years of being in town, my parents finally found a church they liked. And my brother started coming to the church, and it was All Nations Church. And they invited me to come to All Nations Church, and I said no. I was done. No, I'm I'm working, I've got marking to do, I'm too busy, I'm not coming. And if you know anything about my family, persistence is key. And so did they stop asking? They never stopped asking those nine risky words. Would you like to come to church with me? No. Well, how about today? Would you like to come to church with me? No. Listen, you can, oh, you can never run out of creative ways to say no. And I, I, I hit every single one. And then finally it dawned on me, because I might not be the sharpest person. If I don't go at least once, they will never leave me alone. And so, would you like to go to church with me? Why, yes, I'd love to go to church with you. That wasn't my answer. My answer was, all right, I'll go. And so I got up on Sunday morning, and 
went to Fraser, it was Fraser at the time, and walked in and sat down. And I was ready to just endure the hour and 15 minutes and walk out, say, I did my duty, stop asking. And I happened to come into a sermon where Pastor Jeremy was preaching, and and he explained at the time that sin was doing things your own way. Choosing to do life your way and not God's way. Choosing to, be sec- to, choosing to be first in your life and not putting God first. And I thought, well, that's interesting because that's not ever how I had understand, understood sin to be. So that's really interesting. And then about halfway through, he asked this question. And the question was this. So if that's what sin is, how's it working for you? And I got to tell you, I sat there and before I could stop my heart from answering because the head was gonna say, everything's perfect. The heart said, not very well. And I knew in that moment that something in my life needed to change. I knew it. I just wasn't exactly sure how to do that. And so I started attending All Nations Church. I attended every single week. This was about Easter, so I attended every single week. And in June, my sister-in-law invited me to a yoga retreat. I love yoga, so I thought, this is gonna be awesome. And I I went to the yoga retreat, and there was a wonderful, amazing lady who was leading the retreat, who was doing one-on-ones with people coming, so I thought, this will be great. So I sat down with her, and she looked at me, and she said, Kay, I see you. And I'm like, yeah, I see you too. (laughs) And she said, no, I really see you. You're so angry and you're wearing a mask and it really works for everybody else, but it's not working because it's not on completely right. I can see how angry you are and I'm gonna tell you this. The anger that you're holding on to in your life will kill you or somebody else. It will kill relationships. It will kill jobs. It will kill you. You need to get help and I'm gonna tell you what you need to do. And she gave me a list of places I needed to go to get help. There are some amazing places in town that you can go get help when you have anger issues. But I knew the truth. The truth was I needed to get right with God. That was the truth. All of these things were gonna be great to help me to cope with the anger, but really, if I wanted to get to the deeper and darker issue of my anger, I needed to get real with God. At the place we were at, there happened to be um, a little chapel. So I walked in and I locked the door and I fell to my knees and I started praying. And when I went into that room, I was praying for something. I was praying that I would have the courage to forgive God for what he did to me. The courage to forgive him for taking away everything that he took away from me. And as I began to pray, I realized that that was not the right prayer. What I needed to pray for was forgiveness from him for all the ways that I had wronged him. All the times I walked away and turned my back and all the times I ignored his call on my life and all the times that I chose to do things that I'm not proud of in my life because I was gonna live life my way. And that, in that moment, I can only describe it as I felt like the arms of God around me and I felt complete peace in my heart, and I knew the truth. See, we can see the truth sometimes as we wanna see the truth, and there is the truth we see with our human eyes, but there is the truth that only God can provide. 
And I knew the truth. I found that out that day, that I was never going to be enough. I was never going to be good enough, smart enough, strong enough, wise enough. I was never going to be enough. And the truth is, I didn't have to be. God loved me anyway. He loved me enough to forgive me for all of the things that I'd done in my life. He was strong enough to, to take on my burden, to take on my pain, to take on the sadness that I, I felt in my life. So I kind of picture it this way. Have you ever seen the movie The Wizard of Oz? All right, I love that movie. And there's a part in the movie where there's the big storm and she's taken off to Oz and the, the house lands and she's still black and white. The movie is still black and white. And she gets up from the bed and she walks over to the door, kind of nervous, and she slowly opens the door. And as she opens the door, there is a world of color out there. And so I had a choice. I could stay in the dark world in which I lived or I could take one step out the door into the world of color and hope and pray that God would accept me as I was, and he did. And for the first time, I saw color. And for the first time where I felt loss, there was gain. And where there was anger, there was now love. And where there was pain and brokenness, there was finally hope in my life. And to be honest with you, there are times in my life that I grieve for the kids I'll never have. There are times in my life where it is a weight on my heart that hurts. It really does some days hurt. And when that happens, I do the only thing I can do. I get on my knees and I pray and I pass that burden over to God. And then I take a minute and I change the only thing I can change. And that's my perspective. See, the way I see it now is that I am a teacher and I get to spend, I've had the privilege of over 20 years of teaching in a classroom. I'm spending my time with the most amazing kids I've ever met. And now as children's pastor of this church, I get to spend every Sunday with this fantastic and amazing group of kids. And the truth is, I love every single one of them. Every kid that's crossed into my life, I love. And God has blessed me with three nieces and two nephews. And when they were placed in my arms, I fell in love every single time. And I could not love them any more than I do. See, I've been blessed with children in my life, with great friends who have great kids who let me be the aunt. I get to spend my time watching kids and learning from these kids. And I've watched these kids endure great loss with hope and trust that God is in control. And I've watched these kids that I get to spend my, my time with celebrate their success with humbleness. And I've watched these kids give everything they have so that other people can have too. And it is an amazing thing to get to spend time with kids. And I realize I need a perspective like that. I need to see hope. I need to see humbleness. And I need to see love acted out in my life through these kids. And it is an absolute blessing for me. And I'm, I will tell you this, I do not take one second for granted that I get to spend with these kids in my life. And every time I see them, I want them to know that I love them. 
So I always greet them at the door with a smile and a, how was your week? Let's talk about it. What's going on in your life? Because I want them to know they're important to me. Every single one of them is important to me. But more than that, I never want them to feel like I did. I never want them to feel like God doesn't love them. I never want them to feel like Jesus doesn't love them. Because the truth is, he does. He loves every single one of us. And there is no doubt in my mind that they need to know that. And the best way I can do that is by telling them that and showing them that with my actions. And so I do that every single day. See, the verse John 3:16, which I've read before, for God loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, is an amazing verse. We have that. But it's John 3:17 that changed my point of view. See, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world in order that the world be saved through him. See, we have a choice. In life, there's always choices. We can choose to believe that Jesus came to the world to condemn us, that we'll never be good enough and smart enough and strong enough. Or we can choose to believe the second half of that verse, which is, he came to save us. He loved us that much that he came to save us. It's all about the choice. It's all about perspective. So what can we do to change our perspective? I believe a change in perspective only comes with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we heard Pastor John and Pastor Amanda talk about what that looks like and how the power of prayer was so important in their lives and how the power of the word of God was so important in their lives. Listen, the Bible, best-selling book of all time for a reason, right? But the thing about the Bible, I gotta tell you, confession time, right? Since we're, we're going all in, I'll go all in. There are parts of this book I love more than others. There are parts of this book I love to read. And I spend a great deal of time in those parts of the Bible. The problem is, like any good book, the story starts at the beginning and ends at the end. There is so much in here that if you choose to skip around and you choose to not read parts of the Bible because they make you uncomfortable, you're gonna miss the truth vision of what God really is. It is the complete story of God from cover to cover. And when you jump around, you may miss it like I did. You may think, well, that's, that's, that's not a really fun part of the Bible. I'm gonna skip that one and go right to this one. But you're gonna miss the message that God wants you to hear. See, he describes it from beginning to end. Now, there are times in my life where I will admit, even recently, where I've been busy working three jobs or four jobs and doing prep work and marking and taking care of stuff at home and doing all the family stuff, where I've kind of let my relationship with Jesus slide a little bit. And I'm going to tell you what happens to me when that happens. I get a little more agitated and a little less at peace. I get a little more short with people and a little less understanding. And realizing this about myself with not spending time with Jesus, I made a commitment to myself to read it from cover to cover, but more than that, to go back and spend time in the parts of the Bible that make me uncomfortable because they probably make me uncomfortable for a reason. And I needed to spend time in those parts. So I made a commitment to myself that not only was I gonna read the Bible, but I was actually gonna try and understand a little bit of it and try to put it into action in my life. And that I was gonna schedule time to pray every day 
and schedule time with God every single day. And what happened when, when I did that was my perspective changed and everything in my life changed. See, God had been calling me to do things in my life. He'd been calling me to, to come and work at Kids Church and I wasn't listening. There was a time in my life where I felt the call of God wanting me to work in ministry and I didn't listen because I didn't think I could do it. There was a time in my life where um, I lost what I thought was everything. And instead of turning to this, I turned to other things that we turn to when we're broken. And I gotta tell you, it's important for us to spend time with God. It changes our perspective. It changes our perspective to, from what we think God is and who we think God is to who God really and truly is. And that's so important. So to put this um, into perspective, Peter's change of perspective allowed him to be the rock of the church and he changed the church. Saul's change in perspective allowed him to become Paul and it changed his life and he became one of the greatest disciples of all time for Jesus Christ who didn't care if it would cost him everything. He didn't care. He was willing to put everything on the line for that message of Jesus Christ. He went from wanting to persecute and kill Christians to wanting to be one and making a change in the lives of others for that. So now, when I think back to that summer of baseball, I don't think of it quite so tragically anymore. What I think about is how that was the last summer that I was gonna get to spend with my friends before I started working full part-time jobs to pay my way through university. It was the last time I was gonna get out there and have some fun and, and enjoy my time with my friends. And ha- knowing that now, I, there are times I wish I had to embrace that a little more and be a little less scared of the ball and a little more fun, right? Perspective is key. The truth is we all have a choice. Life is about choices. So what could happen in your life if you changed your perspective? I can speak for myself. I would never have expected a change in perspective to leave me here to All Nations Church as the children's pastor. I would never have expected to feel the overwhelming joy I feel every single day for being able to worship and love a God who loves me back more than I could ever comprehend, who accepts me as I am, but is willing to change me into who he wants me to be. I would never have expected to find peace, that peace that only comes from knowing the healing power of Jesus Christ and trusting God with the plan for my life. And I would never in my life have expected to know love, like the love I know of Jesus, a love that goes beyond all understanding, a love that is for me and for every one of you and for everybody. It is a love that is perspective changing, and I can guarantee you it is a love that is life changing. And all you have to do is just open your eyes and see it. Open the door and step out into that world of color, because when you do, it will change everything. And I know this, in those times of struggle, you know, when, when I became a Christian, I believed, like many Christians, my life was gonna be perfect. Everything was gonna be great, God is good, and the truth is, struggles do come your way. But now I look at them a little differently, because I know God is teaching me something, he's growing me, and I know that when I'm stuck in the middle, like Pastor Amanda talked about, 
There is hope for me. There is peace for me in the middle of that hurricane, in the middle of that storm, in the middle of everything. Jesus is right there. God is right there with me. And I know this because he promises it. His promises are true. His promises he makes to us are true. And I know I can turn to him at any time. In a struggle, when life is great, it doesn't matter. He's there all the time. And I know this, he wanted a relationship with me. He wanted the relationship with the real me, with the walls down, the heart open, and willing to love. So Peter and Saul needed that personal relationship. I needed that personal relationship. And the truth is for all of us, we're on a journey. And when life is a journey, we can always do something to strengthen that relationship. Whether you are just a new believer and and really trying to figure this all out, or whether you've been a believer forever, for your whole life, there's always something you can do to strengthen your relationship with God. And when you do that, it will change your perspective. It could be something as simple as just scheduling 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day to read the Bible, or pray, or spend time just listening to God. It could be scheduling your day to come to church. So I'm gonna commit that every second Sunday I'm gonna be here regardless. It could be something as simple as, right now you're in the middle of a storm and you cannot see. Know this, you can trust in the living God and you can trust him to be there for you. And you may be surprised what will happen in your life when you change your perspective. So I'm gonna ask you to take out your communion cups for me. Um, Everybody feel free to participate in that. It's just grape juice in, in your communion cup. And you know, when I think about the story of Jesus at the Last Supper, and he's sitting around having dinner with the guys. How many of you have been out having dinner with, the, with your friends, right? We all go out and have dinner with our buddies. He's out having dinner with his buddies. He knows what's coming, but they don't. And he is, he is there at the table looking at his buddies, and I'm sure he feels a little bit sad because he knows what's coming, and he knows what they're gonna do, and he knows the pain um, that they're gonna have to watch and endure. And if you open up the top layer, he gets the bread and he says to them, this is my body. It's gonna be broken, it's gonna be hurt. Listen, it's gonna, I'm gonna suffer for you, it's gonna really hurt but I'm gonna do it for you because I love you. And he asks them to take that bread and eat it in remembrance of him. And you know, I think if you open up that, that grape juice, I think about the blood and I think, you know, Jesus loved us so much. It is an amazing thing that Jesus loves us so much and the truth is, I could work as hard as I can, and I can go out and do as much as I can, and I can go out and just, you know, just do my best. It's not enough. We need to do something to have a relationship with him. We need to put ourselves aside, and we need to put God first. And we need to admit to God that we have made mistakes in our lives, and we're really sorry about that. And we need to ask for his forgiveness. And when we do, there is this amazing 
thing that happens in our lives. We begin to see life as God wants us to, with hope and with trust. And we begin to know that the true, me- true message in the blood of Jesus is love. He loves us. And there is nothing you can do to change that. He loves you so much that he sent his son, his only son, to die on the cross for you, for me, for everybody. And that is, for me, one of the most amazing things, that he would do that for me. So I ask you to drink in remembrance of him.